hey, it's Ian Altman, people would come to me and say, can you build a community where we can interact with other people who are applying same-side selling to their business? And that's what we built with the Same-Side Selling Academy. Best of all, right now, it's totally free. So go to samesidesellingacademy.com, sign up there, and be a part of the community. And just, I encourage you to be an active member of that community. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by David Kerr. Now, David is the CEO of Octave, but before coming to Octave, David's guy is a career entrepreneur with a lot of expertise in building and growing businesses. He served as vice president and GM of Groupon, general manager of e-commerce for Angie's List. So suffice it to say that David's got a lot of relevant experience. We're going to talk about one of the biggest challenges in embracing a mobile workforce. We're going to talk about change management and how we help people embrace new technologies to get better at what they can actually do. And we'll talk about different ways that you can use technology to actually allow you to be more responsive and get better results with your clients. You're going to learn a ton. I had a great time talking to David Kerr. David Kerr, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. It's great to be here. So share with the audience something surprising that they may not know about you. Oh, man. Long history, lots of things uh, that I could go to. You know, I'll, I'll keep it in the business context, not the personal context necessarily, but I had the opportunity to uh, lead a team in Europe for four years and move my family to Dusseldorf, Germany, and led teams across all of Europe, but uh, had lots of interesting experiences, both personally and professionally, uh, working and living in, in Germany. Just a, a whole different culture set, wonderful people, wonderful place, but. Uh, Lots of interesting kind of situations uh, when you're working in a foreign country. Yeah, I'm sure. You know what? In my prior business, we had we had uh, joint ventures and we did business in 14 different countries around the world. And you know, people would say, "Well, so what's different about when you're in Beijing? How is that different?" I'm like, it would take us like a day to meet for me to explain what's different there than here. I remember the the most interesting thing for me was in Beijing. We were talking to our general manager, and I said, "Look, you know, every time I come in to this office, there's like a different receptionist." I said, "And I mean, I don't know what your what the hiring criteria is, but it's like I walk in, like half the time I feel like I'm in a modeling agency. Like there's this, like there's these women that it just seems like, you know, over the last several years, every single one, it's like these stunningly attractive women, which." I mean, whatever, but you know, what sort of policies are you guys following? Because I'm like asking, I'm like wondering, hey, are they doing some things that might be inappropriate, whatever? And the guy goes, well, I mean, this is China. We, the, the, I'll read, I'll, let me translate the ad for you. And the ad was like attractive woman, this size, these dimensions. And it's like, oh my God, like I can't like, and they're looking at me like it's with a total straight face. Like, no, this is like, you're allowed to do this. This is okay. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know that you should, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting you say that in Germany on resumes, people would put a picture. Well, yeah. that would be one of the things. But when you would use a recruiter, they would have a comment and they would say, well, uh, you know, Johan is six feet or it would be obviously in uh, metrics, but yeah. six feet tall and has an angular face and, you know, sports a light beard. And so, so the recruiter would give you these kind of <laughs> physical appearances. And then the other thing that I found fascinating there uh, at certain management levels, everybody gets a car 
and the company pays to have the car washed. The company pays to have the car serviced. And I was focused on profitability and bottom line. I'm like, why do we have all these cars? And people would literally look through books, um, these car manuals or, or, or car brochures. And, you know, I want this sport line Audi with these kind of seats. And I'm like, this is crazy. But it's just it's part of the culture. Yeah. And it's it's the way things are. So it's 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 very different. Uh, doing that. So, which, you know, part of that traveling around the world ties into someone we want to talk about, which is this idea of the mobile workforce. So what are the biggest challenges or misconceptions that you think businesses face when it comes to a mobile workforce? You know, I think it's interesting. There's been, I would say more of a movement uh, towards having a mobile workforce, a remote workforce due to things, everything from uh, commute times to, uh, being more accommodating to family issues where people have uh, kids they need to pick up or drop off. Then you saw the pendulum swing with uh, Marissa Meyer at, at Yahoo, where she was making sure everybody was working from the office, or I believe IBM was making some changes recently on, on uh, the remote and mobile workforce. I think, I think those moves back to, Hey, everybody has to be in the office. I think those are kind of yesteryear's um, wishes to, to have everybody where you can keep them under, under a watchful eye. I just I, th- I think today's times call for the remote workforce. I think the biggest issues are around communication and accountability. Uh, how do you ensure that you've got not only from a technology side of communicating, so whether it's video, whether it's Skype, however you're you're doing these things, um, but then it's also accountability. So if people are working different hours or if they're um, you know you're not able to see what they're doing all the time, whether it's in a meeting or elsewhere. How do you hold people more accountable and ensure that the work is getting done that needs to get done? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I remember in my prior business, I had sold a business, and then the chairman of the parent company, I, I, was, I became managing director of the overall parent, and the chairman would say, well, I mean, well, where is so-and-so and what are they doing today? And you know, keep in mind, we got operations in 14 countries. I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, well, how are they being managed? I said, well, we, we lay out goals and objectives and we ask them what they need in order to get their job done. And then we hold them accountable for actually doing it. So if someone has to have the cable guy out to fix something or there's something going on in their personal life, as long as they get all this stuff done that we need, I don't really care where they are or what they're doing as long as they're getting stuff done. And this guy was kind of old school and just just couldn't comprehend that at all. Like, there's no way you could possibly do that. And I think that you touch on something key there, which is that level of communication accountability, not just having the communication, but having the clear communication about goals and objectives. How critical do you think that part is in terms of communication about the goals and objectives? I mean, I, I think it's absolutely critical. And there's a variety of different systems that people use, whether it's GASPA or V2MOM or uh, things like the four P's. And these are these cascading goals from the top. And the top down, you know, they start at a very strategic level, but then they go down to the individual employee. And I think kind of regardless of the size of the organization, clearly you don't want to make it bureaucratic and overburdening. But I think if if everybody's not tied into some specific measurable targets and they've got to be uh, objective, not just subjective targets, I think it's it then is sometimes difficult to uh, to manage the performance on that. We, we had a, a remote employee that was uh, working on um, kind of front-end design work, and 
And it oftentimes, unless we had a really engaged manager working with that individual and, and very defined projects and deliverables, it would sometimes be difficult to, uh, to manage what, what the outcomes were and, and what kind of productivity gains we were getting from that. I mean, it's just one small example, but I think without having those very measurable KPIs in place that are tied to the overall company goals, I think it's, I think you're going to miss with all these remote employees. Sure. And I know one of the challenges that a lot of organizations will share with me is they're like, look, you know, we got people all over the place. And the challenge is that now, I don't know, and I know there's something you guys deal with at Octave, so I want to get a little bit of your insight here, which is, look, the person's out of the office, but do they have this this document with them? And which is the right version? And how do they get this out when they're remote, when they're maybe doing stuff on their phone, when they're not in the office? How do we maintain that control and connectivity? And what are the snags that people fall into? And what's kind of the roadmap to fix them? Yeah, and I, I'll talk just briefly about Octave to give you a little sense here. What we do is we automate and we digitize sales documents. So they could be proposals or contracts or things like that. And there's there's plenty of other players out there in the field uh, that do similar types of solutions. Um, but what we're finding and what we're solving for is there's so much burden, so much, you know, CEB talks about the seller's burden on a salesperson now. And there's product complexity, there's internal complexity where you have to get approvals, you've got to go find uh, assets from somewhere from marketing that you need to put into a proposal or terms and conditions into an MSA. And so what we're finding solutions like Octave, and, and again, there's others out there that, that do this, is it, it allows that remote employee to have a standardized approach, a templatized approach, a much more streamlined, frictionless approach to manage and, and, to, and to really reduce this seller's burden. And so whether you're doing it from a phone, from a laptop, from home, from the office, uh, these types of solutions are driving a lot more of that uh, effectiveness, efficiency. Those are overused words, but driving that consistency across the organization. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on – we talked before we jumped on this interview. We were talking about CRMs, and you mentioned this idea of app fatigue and basically this idea of – it's almost like, man, if I got one more app that does this, and and everyone, I guarantee, every IT department, every organization that deploys an app does so with the best of intentions. But what are some of the snags that you see when people are deploying all these different apps to their teams? Yeah, and I, I'm sure you saw this when you were managing director of the the large organization. You look at technology, whether it's your sales ops, your marketing ops, your IT folks are bringing solutions in that are genuinely can, can solve a problem or addressing a problem that you have. And what we found, I think, in Marta in marketing technology, and now it's happening across sales technology, is you begin to layer on application upon application upon application. I mean, I must get, I don't know how many emails a week I get from inbound folks wanting to you know, help me with leads, help me close things faster, do all these things. And it's all technology based. I think what companies begin to forget is the change management that goes along with that and how you've got to ensure that whether it's the sales leader, whether it's a team leader on that team, it, it's got to be come from the top down that you really have to think through the change management of what problem you're trying to solve. That if you just go out and go by whatever the number is, five, 10, different applications for your sales team to use, that in and of itself is not going to make them effective. You've got to drive adoption. You've got to drive utilization. 
And, and the key to that is really this change management component, which is, is incredibly complex. Let's talk about that change management component a little bit, because one of the things that we often see, and you had, you had mentioned this before, and I want to make sure our audience hears this too, is the notion that very often people will implement a system, let's say for sales, but on the list of what they want to accomplish with this app, there's one group that gets overlooked. And as you describe it, it's the salespeople. It's so right. <laughs> it's their role. So so let's talk a little bit about that in terms of the the change management aspect and how we don't fall into that trap. Sure. And I, so you you'd mentioned Ian earlier we were talking about CRM and you know CRM has obviously gone over the last decade from nice to have to to mission critical need to have and so forth. I do feel like um, not. I feel like I, I think it's proven out in the utilization stats and, and actually talking to sales reps. CRM is really for sales managers and and sales leaders to get reporting and to get information from the field. It does not maybe. In some of the marketing materials, it's geared towards the sales rep and how to make their lives easier. But ultimately, it's a way to capture data so that reporting can roll up and we can figure out, do we need more salespeople or do we drive leads differently this way? So I think one of the things people have got to do is think through, are the technologies they're putting in place, are they really for the sales rep? Are they really thinking about what is that user experience like for the sales rep? Is it making their day easier? Is it streamlining it? And then is the downstream effect of that, is it to then be able to capture data and do reporting and help to optimize things? And so I think that it so often gets missed that what's going to be easy for, for the sales rep, the easiest for the sales rep. And I've been challenging my team lately. You know, we've got all these training manuals and here's these videos to help you get going. And I'm like, how many videos did you look at when you bought your new iPhone or your new uh, you know, Samsung or something along these lines, Android phone? Never. Nobody does. <laughs> you turn it on, it's word of mouth, you hit a button, or even when you get a new car that's got all this complexity and technology, you know, unless I'm connecting to my overhead garage door, I never open the manual or, or I don't know, changing the tire, I guess. So I think we've really got to think through how we make sure these applications are so user-friendly uh, that we're putting in place for sales reps. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's interesting because I'll often get people that will come to me when I'm working with an organization. They say, well, I mean, how do we get our people to use this CRM or this SFA, Salesforce Automation Platform? And I always ask the same question. I say, well, so what is it about the CRM or the Salesforce Automation Platform you have that is dramatically helping the salespeople do their jobs? And I always get this blank stare back They're like, no, no, because we need it for reporting. And for I'm like, you're missing the point. <laughs> like, if you right. want them to use it, show them how it's going to help them do their job and they'll use it. But right now what you're doing is saying, I want you to use this so my job is easier. And it's tough to get buy-in for that. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I, I was just as you were talking, I was thinking of some different tools that seem like, and I'd be curious to get your feedback on this as well, that some tools that are out there that are more for sales and not for management, but help move that process forward. E-signature is one that comes to mind that you can get a deal closed if you've got an e-signature solution that's easy to use. Um, the ability to find assets. So people are constantly looking for what's the new slide or the new logo or whatever it might be. So the ability to, to quickly find that, you know, salespeople probably don't like it, but you know, if you're in a SDR, a business development role type of thing, maybe an auto dialer, that's just making it quicker and easier to, to move forward document assembly. So things that you can 
create a, a contract rapidly. So I, I was just trying to think, you know, what, what are things that uh, really do kind of streamline a sales rep's day and make it easier and quicker and allow them to have more face time or more conversation time with, with a prospect. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's where a lot of people miss the boat is they spend a lot of time on this big idea of, wow, we're going to have a system that gives us total visibility into everything in the organization. And I'm going to know how many phone calls and how many meetings and how many this happened, but they're not really helping people do their job more effectively. But the notion of, if you talk to a sales rep and you say, what's the sinkhole of time for you? Most of them are going to say, look, if you give me a way to create a compiled document for somebody, that's going to be great. If you give me a way to quickly generate a proposal based on asking me some questions, give me some inputs, and it spits it out, and now I can get that to the, doc, the, to the client who in turn can electronically sign it, well, man, you've just saved me X hours per deal. And invariably, someone will say, no, no, because that's not going to really help us with the uh, forecasting for the board. And it's like, well, you know what? Guess what? If you start doing this stuff more effectively and efficiently, um, all your board's going to have to worry about is how to avoid the tax consequences with the extra profit from the revenue that's coming in. Yeah, and, and, and actually, some of the current solutions that are doing those things actually will help you with the forecasting because what it's going to do is it's going to show you Everything from how many proposals somebody's sending out, what's the value of those proposals, where are they in the sales stage, so who's opened them, have they forwarded them, has there been engagement, has there been collaboration. So there's certain elements and signals now in, in some of the current solutions that are out there that will allow you to do those things uh, as well and help help even drive the forecasting and things. So I, I think there's ways with these tools that you can clearly be focused on the salesperson but also it can end up benefiting uh, management and, and rolling up as well. Yeah, it's interesting. There's an element that in, in what I teach in Same Side Selling, we talk about you always have to focus on and document the anticipated results for the client. And so every time people struggle with this handoff between sales and operations, I always say, look, if all you do is document what the client is, is trying to solve and what, the, what success or the results look like, all I have to do is hand that off to the operations team. They know exactly what's what's at stake and what they're trying to accomplish. But if you don't capture that, you basically hand it off to operations. Like, here, we're going to blindfold you, tie your hands behind your back. Good luck. Knock them dead. And then when they struggle, we wonder what happened. Um, and so what are, the, what are the two or three tools that you look at and you say, wow, if I really want to move the needle for my salespeople and I really want to make them more productive – and I want to make it so that whether people are in the local office, the home office, or remotely, they can be productive. What are the what are the tools? What are the the um, the technologies or concepts or um, or techniques that you put in their tool in, in their tool bag to help them be more effective? Yeah. So just so everybody knows, we, we are a software company. We have a team of people that primarily does phone sales, but we also have a team that's uh, out on premise and selling as well. So I want to give people context for you know, these things might be different depending on the, the size of the team or the type of thing they're selling, but I'll give you kind of specifics for us. So we do use CRM. Uh, and in this case we use Salesforce. The next component in that piece, we use Octave, which allows you to create the presentations, proposals, and contracts. Then we use DocuSign to get those closed. 
Um, we do end up at the front end for the salesperson. We have a variety of tools, everything from um, LinkedIn Navigator to things like uh, we, we've used Sales Loft in the past. We've used Sales View in the past, which are essentially cadence type of solutions that help help the sales rep. What's you know, based on campaigns that have been run, based on outbounds that we're doing, what are the types of what's the next company to call? help you track those things, help record those kinds of things. So those are some just really specific tools. I realize those are fairly uh, common ones, but I, but I do think having an integrated stack and really thinking through each, each step of your sales process and the sales stage, making sure you've got something that's enhancing that and integrated with the other makes, makes a lot of sense. For the purpose of, of our listeners, so what are some of the questions that you might ask your leadership, your sales team that to kind of determine what tools they need to help them do their jobs. Because part of that from a, from almost a change management standpoint is asking the right questions to make sure they get the right tools. Yeah. And, and on this one, you know, it's interesting. I may not give you the answer in the, in the tool side of things. I, I think for us, a big piece of this is, is around the sales enablement piece and making sure you, you you keyed on it there where you said making sure they're asking the right questions. And and this, you were talking about the sales managers, but to me in our process, in our sales process, and I think for most people, primarily what you're doing is you're doing a discovery process and you really want to understand what the problem is with the prospect. And then how can you add value with your solution to that? And so to me, ensuring that in a short amount of time as effectively as possible, that the salesperson's asking the right leading questions from that prospect and then tying it to the appropriate solution in a timely way and then having the right kind of follow-up to that, to that call or that conversation. So, so to me, there's a whole enablement component. Yes, there's tools out there for enablement, but there's also a training and kind of change management to ensure that your, your messaging uh, is, is getting translated by those sales reps that you're hiring and onboarding and, and doing these things to make sure they're doing the discovery and that first step in the process the right way. Otherwise they're never going to get further, further through that funnel. I couldn't agree with you more. People often say to me, well, man, if I have a deal that's stuck and isn't closing, you know, how do I impact that? And I always say, well, unfortunately the greatest impact you can have is the first meeting, not the last meeting. And so it's how you, do that intake initially and that initial discovery that sets the tone for everything else. And I think that often gets overlooked. Um, have you done any, any analysis with your team about the time frame for, from the time you have that discovery, when do you want to send a summary document or next steps back to that client? And what kind of response rate you get based on that timing? So we've, we've done this internally, but we've also done it with our customers as well. And I think everybody these days, I'm probably not saying anything uh, too surprising, but speed uh, is, is by far one of the biggest factors in who gets a deal over time and speed and responsiveness and so forth. Um, it was interesting. I, I spent some of my career uh, on a leadership team at Angie's List, and Angie's List sells advertising and, and things uh, to service providers, plumbers, electricians, and these types of folks. And we, we would often look at, you know, who, what plumber, what, what made them get the deal, what made them get the business. And it's no different than in software or plumbing. The, the people that are responsive, that respond quickly. So literally within, if somebody's 
looking at your website or they're opening your proposal or they're, they're calling for a plumber, the sooner you can get back to them, five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, 30 minutes and have an SLA around that uh, for your sales team, the, the greater your odds from, from a, uh, moving it to the next stage in the sales cycle and the higher close rate. I'm glad you shared that because it's something that I, you know, one of my mantras is that time kills all deals. And so if you follow up with somebody, I, I'm always smiling when someone says, wow. So, you know, gee, we, we met with so-and-so, you know, one of my clients and man, they got back to it. Like they sent us a summary of our whole discussion, like, like two hours after our meeting. And part of it is that we teach people, look, when you block out your meeting, block out time to send the follow-up note also, because invariably what happens with reps, they get tied up on stuff. They don't block out the time. Then a week later, they send the follow-up note and everyone's thinking, who's this guy? Oh, I remember that guy. Yeah, didn't he meet with us last week and no one remembers it. But if you send a detailed follow-up that says, here's what we discussed in the meeting and here are our next steps right afterwards – they're locked in with you. They remember it too. And you're more likely to move the deal forward. That's a great tip. I mean, I, I love the, uh, the tip you're saying, I agree with you, but I also just love the tip of saying, Hey, block out another 30 minutes or another hour following that meeting. Cause usually, you know, we're on to the next thing and you're right. It's the weekend or it's a week later and you've got in your follow-ups and to do's, but I think that's a great, great suggestion. Yeah, it's just having that additional calendar entry. It's amazing what a difference it makes. And it's funny because it wasn't something that I did intentionally with my clients. And the more training I did of sales organizations, the more time I spent doing keynotes and this and that, it was amazing to me how I would talk about this principle of the right way to send a summary to people to follow up. And the CEO or VP of sales and marketing I had been dealing with would always then, you know, grab a microphone, come on stage and say, and you guys should know that Ian sent me a follow-up within two hours after our meeting. Now, it wasn't intentional. It's just, for me, you know, I'm so easily distracted that if I don't do it right away, it's just not going to get done. So it's not like I'm that disciplined. It's I'm that much of a mess, and I just know if I don't do it that way, it won't happen. So I have to do it that way because it's my only way of actually following through. And all of a sudden I noticed, wow, you know, people are impressed that the follow-up not only happened, but it happened that completely and that quickly. And so now it's something that I teach. And so uh, it's something I'm, I'm desperately seeking data that support it. Um, and um, it sounds like you've got some of it. Yeah, no, it's, that's great. It's just, it sounds, it's a good hygiene, good hygiene tip. I feel like if there's one thing that people can do to help their teams work more effectively, more efficiently, regardless of location. And I realize one thing is a pretty limiting area, but what's the one, one thing or the one concept that people should embrace if they want to engender that better responsiveness and better results from their team? I would come back to this whole accountability piece. Uh, I know it gets talked about a lot, but I, I also feel like it's a little bit, uh, like your concept of following up within a couple of hours and blocking that time out. I think so often people get focused on the next thing and not holding people accountable and, and not, not just holding them accountable at the annual review time or twice a year, these kinds of things. But if you've got a remote team, you should you know, at least be having weekly standups or weekly one-on-ones with those folks. You should be referring back to what are the KPIs you're trying to achieve, whether it's your rolling 90-day KPIs or your quarterly KPIs or your next 30 days, whatever it might be. It's having 
very specific accountability KPIs, and then the communication should be blocked out. And, and from my perspective, it should be weekly uh, and doing that with your remote teams. That's, that's great. Hey, David, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and connect with you? Sure. A uh, couple of places. They can go to octave.com uh, is the place. And then I'm also on Twitter, and I'm at, at David C. Kerr. So you can find me there as well. And we will have all that stuff in the show notes for people. So, David, I appreciate you for sharing your ideas and thoughts. Um, I take a bunch of notes. I'm sure our listeners did too. And I appreciate you for taking the time to share with us. Ian, thanks so much for having me on. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Man, there's some great stuff that David shared. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap, the key information I think you can use and apply in your business right away. First, remember... I love this concept that David talks about of app fatigue, meaning when we throw all these apps and all this stuff at our team, eventually they just get wiped out and they start turning a deaf ear to anything we can do that might help them. So the biggest thing is that we want to make sure with a mobile workforce that we have great communication and accountability. So everybody knows exactly what we're doing and why and how they're going to be held accountable. And then finally, in terms of different tools, narrow down the set to the tools that you think can have the greatest impact and actually improving the performance of that employee, not just getting you the information that you want, but showing them how what you're providing will help them do better in their jobs. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic we should cover, if you want me to have a different guest on the show, just fire me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.